Good morning. As we come to the scripture and read together, will you stand with me in honor to God's word? We're still in Philippians 2, but I'm going to read all the way to the end and we'll start somewhere else next time. Timothy and Epaphroditus, the section here. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. In your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Thank you. The word of the Lord. Who do we pattern our lives after? Who do we look to as examples and role models? Some of you may remember this. It made the news. Um, it was a number of years ago, back in the 90s. Um, Charles Barkley, the, the basketball player, in an interview said, I am not a role model. I'm not paid to be a role model. I'm paid to wreak havoc on the basketball court. Parents should be role models. Just because I dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kids. Yeah, that got a lot of pushback, I think. Did you know that every one of us in the sanctuary this morning is a role model to someone else? Now, there may not be millions watching us on TV, but there are many people that are observing how we live our lives. Our families, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, and even our brothers and sisters in Christ. And role models can either be good examples or poor examples. Now, when you read this passage of Scripture that uh, Gail shared with us this morning, it might seem like Paul's kind of interrupted the flow of what he's been trying to teach us here by giving us a little bit of a travel log, you know. Well, here's my plans for the travel of Timothy and Epaphroditus. 
But just maybe Paul was not being sidetracked there at all, but was intentionally holding up these two men as living examples of what he has been teaching in Philippians up to this point. We've seen how Paul has been challenging the Philippians to live a life worthy of the gospel, to face persecution with joy, to be humble servants, and to put the needs of others ahead of their own. And Paul's already used Jesus and even himself as an But he might have understood the inclination of people to discount their ability to follow these kinds of examples. In their minds, it may have seemed like trying to live up to the standard that Jesus and Paul set was setting the bar just a little too high. Perhaps he was aware of people saying something like, I can't live up to the example of Paul and Jesus. After all, Jesus is the very Son of God, and Paul is an apostle, this spiritual giant, and who am I? I can't be like them. So to confront that kind of thinking, Paul speaks of Timothy and Epaphroditus, ordinary men who served in extraordinary ways. Now, it's possible that Paul met Timothy when he came to Lystra during his first missionary journey. And Timothy likely became a Christian at that time. Timothy's mother and grandmother were Jews who had converted to Christianity. His father was a Gentile, a Greek, but who's not mentioned in the biblical account, probably because he was not a believer. Several years later, when Paul returned to Lystra on his second missionary journey, he enlisted young Timothy to join him as a co-worker on the missionary tour. And from then on, Paul and Timothy had this wonderful spiritual friendship which Paul describes like a father and a son. So let's begin by looking this morning at Timothy. Timothy was a man, first of all, characterized by caring. Paul was under house arrest in Rome. Uh, He was awaiting the outcome of his appeal to Caesar. He could receive visitors, but he was not free to leave his imprisonment. He wrote in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Timothy was a young pastor and Paul was going to send him to Philippi so that he would receive news about how the Philippian Christians were doing. And the reason Paul wanted to send Timothy to Philippi was because Timothy had a caring heart. As as Paul wrote in verse 20, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Timothy really cared about the welfare of God's people. Apparently others that Paul was acquainted with were concerned more about their own interests and not necessarily the interests of Jesus Christ and others. Well, Timothy cared about the people of Philippi and was concerned about their needs. 
He was genuinely interested in others. He wasn't just playing a role or seeking some personal benefit. He truly cared about people. And Paul said, in fact, that he had no one like him, which is high praise, considering the many others who partnered with Paul over the course of his ministry. When Augustine, we call him St. Augustine, first became a Christian, his only ambition in life was to live a quiet life, focusing on prayer and the contemplation of God's word. However, leaders in the church noticed the depth of his spiritual life and asked him to serve as a bishop. So much for the quiet life. From that point on, Augustine focused on overseeing a number of churches in North Africa. Then in 427, the Aryan Vandals advanced into North Africa. Genseric, the Vandal, Vandal king, went specifically after the Christians. So refugees poured into Hippo, the city where Augustine lived. Soon Genseric laid siege to Augustine's city. Well, the refugees not only brought more responsibility to, for Augustine, they also brought disease. In the, fifth, in the fifth century, so many people packed into so tight a space inevitably created a sick environment. At that point, Augustine had three choices. He could flee. He could stay isolated in his palace and ignore the needs of his people, but perhaps preserve his own health. Or he could get his hands dirty and risk becoming ill himself. Augustine didn't know how to serve from a distance, so he kept up his active schedule. He got close to the people and paid dearly for his service. During the third month of the siege, in August 430, Augustine developed a high fever from which he never recovered. Today, Augustine is considered one of the greatest Christian theologians of all time. But this powerful man of God, whose books Christians still read, gave his last hours ministering to the most basic needs of a frightened flock. Frightened flock. <laughs> he, like Timothy, was a man who genuinely cared for others and was willing to do whatever it took to show that kind of care. And then Timothy was a man who was demonstrated, was characterized by selflessness. Really, this first one, and even the, the, the next characteristic I will talk about, really could fit under this topic of, or idea of selflessness. You know, most of us look out for our own interests, and we should do that to some degree. Unfortunately, many look no further than their own interests. Paul said we should look not only to our own interests, we should look to some of our own, but also to the interests of others, and that's where apparently some were falling short. However, Timothy's primary interest was Jesus Christ. His second interest was others. His third interest was himself. Apparently, Timothy, the way he lived his life, embodied that principle 
and so should we. A fire broke out during an Air Canada flight from Dallas to Toronto a few years back. The pilot began a dramatic and sudden descent, knowing he had but a few moments to land if any were to survive. As soon as they opened the door for rescue, the whole aircraft, sucking in the oxygen, turned into an inferno. There were some fatalities and some suffered burns, but because of the captain's skill and the crew's commitment, many were rescued. The captain was the last one to leave the burning airplane. He was pulled through the, uni- through the window with his uniform on fire. But he deserved the tearful and heartfelt commendations he received as someone who put others before himself. And that is a description of the kind of selflessness, selflessness that I believe characterized the way Timothy lived. And hopefully, it's a description of how we live as well. And then, Timothy's life was characterized by consistency. Verse 22, But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Over the course of time, Timothy had proven himself faithful in his service to Christ and the people of God. Paul viewed Timothy with great affection as a father would view his son and commented that Timothy had served with Paul in the advancement of the gospel. And don't miss Paul's humility here. Timothy was the junior apprentice, but Paul notes how Timothy served alongside with him Paul in the ministry of the gospel. Others had come and gone, but Timothy's character was proven by his faithful servant's service in continuing to partner with Paul in advancing the gospel. <clears throat> you know, it's a wonderful thing when someone has been tested and proved faithful in ministry. And Timothy had done exactly that. And he began just like all people begin in an area of service. He was a novice. He was a rookie. But he stuck with it and saw it through. And now Timothy had become a seasoned veteran and was worthy of greater responsibility. And so Paul was going to send him to Philippi. Timothy was a pastor with an excellent character. He had, in the words of Paul, proved himself through his caring, selflessness, and consistency. That's why Paul told us to work out our salvation, to work toward maturity and completeness. We need to keep on growing and becoming more experienced so that we can prove ourselves faithful in the, in the advancement of the gospel. See, when it comes to spiritual things, we never retire from our Christian service. Our roles may change as we age, but we must continue to do our part. And then he speaks of this man, Epaphroditus. Well, I was typing out this message. Uh, Try typing Epaphroditus about 20 times. So, before we look, though, at the example of Epaphroditus, we need to realize that we know almost nothing about this man except that he was a member of the Philippian church who had become a servant to Paul. 
And keep in mind that Epaphroditus was not an ordained elder or deacon in the church. He was a lay person who was eager to serve Jesus Christ and his gospel. Epaphroditus was traveling to Rome to be of assistance to a man who was to stand trial before the emperor. In fact, he was to bring a a monetary gift from the Philippian church to Paul for his support. You know, there was a real risk in openly acknowledging an association with Paul because of his imprisonment and what might happen after that. And since Rome did not provide for the basic needs of their prisoners, Paul relied on people like Epaphroditus to physically survive. They're the ones who brought food to them. And either during his trip to Rome or while taking care of Paul's needs, Epaphroditus became so ill that Paul became concerned that he might die. But he did not. God cured him. And Paul rejoiced in that, for he said if if Epaphroditus had died, Paul would have experienced, he said, sorrow upon sorrow. It kind of gives you maybe a little bit of insight into the burden that Paul carried for the churches, doesn't it? And since all that Epaphroditus could think about when he was ill, was the welfare of his brothers and sisters in Philippi. Paul informed the church that he was sending to them, sending him to them so that they might see that he was better and alleviate their worry. For having a spirit, laying aside, a spirit of laying aside his own welfare for the cause of Christ, Paul... Did you understand that? For having a spirit, he's speaking of Epaphroditus, for having a spirit of laying aside his own welfare for the cause of Christ, Paul commanded the church to honor Epaphroditus and others that had the same spirit as was demonstrated in his life. Honor this man for what he was willing to do for the gospel. So, Epaphroditus was a man characterized, first of all, By cooperation. Verse 25 of the passage we read this morning. Paul wrote, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. So, Epaphroditus was an active servant. In fact, he was a what I would call a team player. In relationship to Paul, he was... A brother. He was family. Not by blood, but by the Spirit. And because there was, because they were family, there was a commitment to love, to care for, and to support one another. <clears throat> In fact, Paul had an appreciation for this family connection. He used the word brother 133 times in his writings. In the New Testament. So it was obviously pretty important to him. In relation to the ministry of Epaphroditus, he was a busy worker. He and Paul were engaged in the same task, taking the gospel to whoever would listen. 
It's, it's very possible that Paul and Epaphroditus had worked together during Paul's ministry in Philippi and may have been one of the reasons Epaphroditus was chosen to go to Rome. And while in Rome, he was engaged in meeting the needs of Paul, who was under house arrest, and as previously mentioned, depended on those who are free to move about to meet his own needs. In relation to spiritual war, a fellow soldier, he was a soldier in the trenches. See, we were in a fight. They were in a fight. Christians have a common enemy. And we are called to support and defend one another in that spiritual battle. And Epaphroditus was in the battle with Paul, sharing the struggle in the midst of adversity and conflict. He was a team player. His life was, indi- was characterized by his cooperation in the advancement of the gospel. His life was also characterized by concern. Verse 26, For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. You know, I mentioned earlier that Epaphroditus was a member of the Philippian church, which explains why he had a longing to be back with them. However, at the time Paul wrote this letter, Epaphroditus had again recently recovered from a near fatal illness, although we don't know exactly what ailed him. Nevertheless, what's so interesting here is that he was not distressed over his own illness. What's fascinating is that Epaphroditus was distressed because the Philippians had heard he was ill and were concerned for him. They were worrying about him. They were wondering if he was going to make it. In other words, he was concerned about their concern for him. You know, there's a superficial concern and there is a genuine concern. And it seems that Epaphroditus embodied the latter. He was someone who had genuine concern. Now, superficial concern is easy. It requires no real investment. And we demonstrate it all the time. And we all do it. Hi, how you doing? Not really expecting or hoping for the real answer. Because what we're hoping to hear is fine and we go on our way. How you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Oh, good. We like it that way because if we really had concern for that person, it might cost us time to listen or actually get involved in this situation or help out in some way. Epaphroditus had genuine concern for those in his home church who had heard about the severity of his illness. So much so that when he recovered, he was willing to make that lengthy and possibly dangerous journey back to Philippi to reassure them that he was well again. His genuine concern for Paul and his circumstances took Epaphroditus to Rome. His concern for the folks at home took him back to Philippi. And then his life was characterized, Epaphroditus was characterized by commitment. Verse 27, it says, Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, 
lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Now apparently, and we don't know for sure, Epaphroditus became ill either on the, the journey to Rome or shortly after arriving. Some com- commentators think he may have contracted malaria, which was common in the terrain over which he would have had to travel. In any event, it, it was a, about an 800-mile journey from Philippi to Rome. It would have taken a minimum of six weeks of difficult travel and without the protection of modern medicine along the way. So whatever Epaphroditus' illness was, he was near to death at some point. But God had mercy on him and he did not die. Here was a man that was committed to the advancement of the gospel even at the cost of his own life. He kept on and completed his task. He was persistent in spite of the pain. The cause of Christ came before his comfort, his well-being, his health. In Mark 8.35, Jesus said this, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. I think that verse describes the heart and mindset of both Timothy and Epaphroditus. Men whose lives were characterized by caring, selflessness, consistency, cooperation, concern, and commitment. Ordinary men who did extraordinary ministry because they, like Jesus and Paul, had the hearts of a servant. And because they were ordinary men, the people at Philippi could look at them as role models, as examples of how they were to live. And I think if we in the church today would evidence these same characteristics in our lives, caring, selflessness, consistency, cooperation, concern, and commitment, perhaps we would then see the gospel advanced in the same powerful way that they witnessed in the New Testament. You know, one of the things I prayed for during this uh, long stretch we've been through with COVID is that God would bring a season of fruitfulness out of this for his church. For this church. And part of that will have to do with what we've done during this time. What have people seen in us? You know, uh, I challenged you, I don't know how long ago, uh, to pray for your neighbors. And there's a list of things that we pray for our neighbors for consistently. And we hope that, and wintertime's tough because we don't see our neighbors out much. Maybe, I don't know if you see yours. We don't see ours out much. Yesterday was a night day, and it's like, hey, we haven't seen you. You know, we were waving at our neighbors and talking to them. And 
But one of the things that Julie and I pray for is they, they will see in us during the COVID-19 pandemic and the fear and, and the worry and the concern and all of that that's gone on, a whole different attitude. And, and as we interact with them in our lives, some of the very qualities, characteristics that were demonstrated by these two ordinary guys. See, it's those kind of things that people see, that people see in us that are qualities of Jesus Christ that make a difference when we interact in the world where we live. Amen? And then that serves to advance the gospel. Jesus, Jesus, Julie, who, she's nearly divine, so I just, Julie was reading this morning that uh, there are, there's an increasing number of nuns in our culture. N-O-N-E, nuns. Did I say that right? N-O-N-E. Yes, nuns. Those are people who claim no religious affiliation of any kind. We're just, you know, you, you fill out those forms sometimes that say, are you Christian or Protestant or Catholic or Muslim or da-da-da? None. They have no affiliation. We've got a huge challenge before us in the culture we live in, and, and that non-affiliation explains why we have some of the issues we do, I think. So it's so important that like these men who lived godly lives in their culture in that day, we live godly lives in our culture in our day and point people to, toward Jesus. Will it be easy? No. Does it take courage? Yes. Does it take consistency? Yes. But guess what? See, it was the cross that made all the difference in these guys' lives. It was the cross and then the gift of the helper that allowed them to be the men they were and allows us to be the people God wants us to be in the world where we live. Amen? Father, thank you for the example, the godly example of these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who had such an important role to play in the early church and even in Paul's life, made such a difference. In fact, such a difference that their names are recorded in Scripture for us to read over 2,000 years later. And I don't know that our names will be written down anywhere except in the Lamb's Book of Life and in the record that you keep, which really is the most important place for them to be written down. But, that, but the fact that, you know, we don't get any kind of earthly recognition doesn't or shouldn't make any difference. What's important is that we have our priorities right. And it's about Jesus first, others second, and me third. That we live a life of servanthood like these men lived. Ordinary men who, because of the power of Christ at work in their lives, did extraordinary ministry. May we be challenged by that as we go from here and live our lives in the place where you've put us in our world for your glory and honor. 
and the advancement of the gospel. And we pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Go in his grace and peace. You're dismissed.